you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. Yeah, well, the the sad thing is, um, it's really become kind of an invasion to make a phone call. Oh no, no, no like no, no, you text no, no. somebody to say, "Is it okay if I call?" Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there we go. Okay, we are live. We're recording. I've tested the recording already. Oh, that is fantastic. I wish I had something new and pithy to say. I'll close up my laptop. I'll get out of Facebook so no one thinks I'm there. No offense to anyone who wishes I were. Uh, and then uh, we can we can begin. This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And across the state from me, uh, you are in kind of literally a haze. I'm I I'm looking at an orange sun setting yeah, so, in the west. So podcasting from Krypton. Yeah. Rick yeah. Brett Snyder. Cal, yes, Cal Brett I, Snyder. I've, I've had to comment several times today. Uh, I never thought I would see the day that the air quality in LA is better than the air quality in Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean it'll pass. Um so I, I hope you'll, that, you'll uh, get the you, title back. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. So anyway, hey, we've got a, a little bit of comics news, a little movie news, a little TV news. Uh, and of course, I'm just going to say up front, uh, you know, that we, this podcast, the, the news really is, uh, of course, the passing of Stan Lee. But I feel like in the spirit of Stan, we have to do our ads first. Uh, so. Uh, of course, if you're listening to this on your favorite uh, Apple uh, well, Apple podcast, uh, your uh, Twitcher favorite podcatcher, again, I, I couldn't figure out, podcast supplier, whatever, whatever your source for favorite podcast, please uh, rate us, review us, subscribe, uh, tell your friends that you're enjoying us. And of course, you can listen to the Fanboy Planet podcast on fanboyplanet.com, where each and every podcast does have a page. Uh, we also... Uh, have sometimes references to other articles there as well as if we talk about something on the podcast that you'd like to own for yourself that you cannot find at your local brick and mortar store there's an amazon link on each and every podcast page as well as sometimes there are direct links to products that we've talked about or referenced and we do have a get a small kickback from amazon if you order through the link on our site, as well as think geek we are an affiliate of think geek and there are plenty of things as we're getting ready Rick and I both are trying to work on our gift guides uh, for 2018 for the holidays. ThinkGeek is often a source or a pusher, if you will, of many of the things that we would like for Christmas or that you might like for Christmas or the geek in your life might want for Christmas. And if you would just like to help uh, support Fanboy Planet uh, and help defray the cost of hosting the site and the podcast, you can certainly donate at PayPal. That's at editor at fanboyplanet.com. That's editor at fanboyplanet.com, which is also a convenient way to get a hold of us. You can contact us. Any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can also join our Facebook page, Fanboy Planet. You can tweet us at fanboyplanet and follow us there as well. And Instagram at fanboyplanet. Uh, the Instagram account is usually uh, other little geeky things where we've just got cool photos, something nerdy shows up, movie posters sometimes, those kinds of things. So follow us there. Uh, we'd also mention we do have uh, advertising, uh, which is we brought up last week that the Audacity Performing Arts Project, 
back into the gift guide thing, I do believe very strongly in, in giving gifts to charities, nonprofits as well for the holiday season. The Audacity Performing Arts Project is one very near and dear to my heart. Uh, they are a, a performing arts nonprofit that supports and develops after-school performing arts productions and workshops for and with the poorest, underfunded, and lowest-performing Silicon Valley public schools. I'm sure they'd love to expand out beyond the Silicon Valley, but right now that's that's where they where they're located. And and on November 27th, I believe that's a Tuesday. I think I accidentally said on the last podcast it was the Monday after Thanksgiving. I believe it is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. A portion of all sales at the Elusive Comics and Games and Isle of Gamers will be donated to the Audacity Performing Arts Project. So please head out there if you're looking for Funko Pops games comics graphic novels what have you they've got some art supplies going on at elusive comics and games as well so a lot of great gift ideas there and if you go on the 27th a portion of sales will go to audacity do mention i have two uh two stops left on the i was flesh gordon book tour we are having a saturday november 17th screening and signing at the comic bug which i should all also mention the Saturday, November 17th, is the local comic shop day. So that's an all-day event going on at, at the Comic Bug as far as uh, all kinds of giveaways, that kind of stuff, At and, and I'm sure at your local comic shop, Saturday, November 17th. I'm going to be there with Jason Williams, the star of Flesh Gordon, at 9 p.m., and we're going to be uh, showing the film and signing the book. As well, on Sunday, November 18th at 4 p.m., we will be at Dark Delicacies, a horror-themed bookstore in Burbank, California, and that's D-A-R-K-D-E-L dot com uh, for more details there. So by all means, hope to see some listeners to the podcast uh, out there at either of those shops. And I do hope that if you're listening, you have gone to your local comic shop on local comic shop day and helped support as well. So um, one of the things that's happening on the comic bug is uh, at, I believe it's 4 o'clock on local comic shop day on November 17th. They will have an artist get-together to remember Stan Lee. So that's uh, our top story this week is, I cannot remember who posted it this way, but I, I thought that's pretty much it. If you are a comic book fan, in a weird way, it's like we just lost, everybody just lost their grandfather. Stan yeah. Lee passed away at the age of 95 on Monday morning. And... Uh, as far as I can tell, they, they have not re- released the specific uh, cause of death, but he was host- taken to the hospital Monday morning and passed away shortly thereafter, uh, about a month and a half short of his 96th birthday. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of coverage and a lot of controversy in the last year of what was going on with Stan Lee's home life, personal life, and business. Uh, but I would choose rather today to talk about the good things, the impact he's had on everyone's lives. Uh, I, and, I, and I don't think it's weird to say that. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say everyone's lives. A- and there, it, it's, uh, it, it was creative essentially to the end. There was a great piece uh, in the Daily Beast a couple of months ago when things seemed to have settled down and he was talking about, he was still working, you know, two or three hours a day coming up with new ideas. You can judge the validity of them or the value of them to yourselves. But I, I don't know if uh, you read this, Rick, but I just heard that in China, this catapulted venom of all things to the oh number two superhero movie of all time in China and they were going specifically out of solidarity to Stan Lee, who they also called Grandpa. That was culturally they nicknamed him Grandpa. Sure. Because yeah. one of the last things that he had announced, if not the last, was that uh, the number one pop star, kind of like the Taylor Swift of China, uh, was getting a superhero identity working with stan lee that there was going to be a comic book in china and a character created and i can't, can't remember the name of, of the character but stan had worked with some artists to design and come up with a backstory for this superhero identity so the chinese had really really uh, embraced stan and so you know it, it is interesting to me um while again there's always this this 
bit of haze over who did what in the in the Marvel age, you know, in the 60s when Stan was really creating, and I would say creating Marvel comics while co-creating the characters that made Marvel comics. You know, Stan was definitely the face, he was the voice, and he was the salesman. So he changed that company from timely to Marvel, no question, and created the myth of what Marvel Comics uh, was, which then became, of course, now a, a Disney company. But uh, but I, I'm always fascinated when you realize that the tributes to Stan become linked to characters that he actually had nothing to do with. So while Venom is technically a spinoff of Spider-Man, Stan was long gone from the day-to-day as editor-in-chief and from the editorial process when Venom was created. So that's not a character that he really touched. But on the other hand, in most people's minds, he was Marvel Comics. And I'm sure in some people's minds, he was DC Comics too. But he wasn't. He, <laughs> he was Marvel. And um, so, uh, you know, it, the, the outpouring has been great. And so I thought maybe we would just, you know, talk about, uh, certainly I had this reveille, this epiphany, uh, this week thinking about it because I was telling the story about the, the time that I, I met him at a dinner and got to kind of bend down and, and, and kiss the ring, if you will. And I had that copy of origin of Marvel comics, which was this paperback. I got to say it came out in 71 or 72, maybe, um, which had the origin stories of, I think, six major characters and then a kind of an updated story, uh, a more recent one of, of those characters. And I read that thing. My parents gave that to me for Christmas one year, and I, I, I read that thing over and over and over, and I'm, I'm pretty sure my copy fell apart. And I told him that. And uh, I think I might have exaggerated a little bit. He certainly drove me to want to read more. I don't think it was that book that taught me. I think it was picking up earlier comics. I can remember a Marvel Tales uh, with the Molten Man. It was a reprint of the first appearance of the Molten Man. And I, I had that reprint. Yeah, yeah my, I think it was number 27. My, my parents yeah. bought that for me at like probably a Stuckey's uh, or Rhonda Rexall. And yeah. I read that. I know that one fell apart. And I read that over and over and over again. But my epiphany this week was that in Origin of Marvel Comics, uh, I read that, that was really my first exposure to Thor. And so I read that over and over. And, and what I realized is that this is not to toot my own horn. Within the comedy sports community, I'm, I'm fairly well known for being pretty good at improvising Shakespeare. And that when I started actually reading Shakespeare, I understood it fairly well. I didn't have a problem that some people seem to in that the language wasn't a barrier. And I realized the whole reason that I understood Shakespeare as a kid and that now I can improvise in the language is because of Thor. Because Stanley put that patina of mock Shakespeare in the mouths of all the Asgardians Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and reading that and tales from Asgard. And I think, uh, you know, I was in a car accident when I was like eight and that and my dad bought a handful of comics and there were a couple of Thors in there, too. And, you know, so it's here I am in my 50s realizing that one of the things that majorly shaped my life was Shakespeare and realizing uh, I wouldn't have found Shakespeare if not for Stan Lee. And. That had me pretty gobsmacked, or gobsmacked, if you will, from a Shakespeare, mock Shakespearean perspective. Like, it just was this, whoa, how did I not realize that for so, so long? Uh, which then I went into the Marvel Comics Unlimited app, and I started going back from the beginning of the uh, Thor having his actual title, Thor, and reading forward and just reveling in uh, that mock Shakespearean dialogue and just, you know, plus damn good storytelling. So, you know, I, I put out there as a topic, let's, you know, if you were to say to somebody, you know, there's one or two or maybe three Stanley stories that sum up, uh, not stories about Stan. Although I would say, you know, this is a week where so many people are posting photos of them with, of themselves with Stan. 
And, yeah. and I think it just speaks to, uh, you know, I knew in the last year that the thing is, is fans love, he fed on it. And I mean that in the most positive way that he loved being the figure. He was energized by it. Yes. He was energized. He loved being Stan Lee. He, some call that a performance, but there was very little barrier between public and private. And, you know, and it just says everybody felt like they had their moment, you know, even a love and shove photo, if you will, you know, you still, you, you, you still were in the room with Stan Lee and so many people have that story. And I think that's, a great thing and some people you know thinking well he was overdone it's like no because right now so many people have memories even if it was just 30 seconds with him and it felt good so what would you say you know it's like a most influential to you uh, stanley comic book story well you know i never i i don't go in for signings or anything and i, I don't no, like I to just kind of kind of like push myself upon a celebrity and say hey let's talk about me or talk about, you know, anyway, um, my biggest, uh, the biggest thing for Stan with Stan for me was the, the letters pages and the editorial pages of every Marvel magazine that I bought back when I would read Mm -hmm. everything in them. And the fact that Stan would talk directly to you and he talked, talked to you with a, with very humanist message, a very progressive message um, that that was always positive and always telling you to be a better person. To and and that was regardless of whether or not it was his soapbox or the bullpen. You know, is always mm-hmm. it was always a positive message. It was always something you could learn from. Um, and I just I think that's why I gravitated more towards Marvel as a kid than DC because DC always felt kind of like distant from me as far as the, back in those days, uh, distant from me as far as the creators were concerned. Um, and, and, but Marvel was, here was, uh, uncle Stan talking directly to me about what this, what, what stories were coming up or what, what was happening in, in, in the news right then. It was like, yeah. And that's one of the things there was nothing else like it is to say, that's how he changed things. You just mentioned that they felt distant. It it wasn't that, you know, that creators at DC were distant. It was, nobody knew who did it. You knew Bob Kane's signature, um, you know, because he signed a deal in 1939 to make sure that his name was on every story. And whereas Stan Lee really gave personalities to he gave nicknames to everybody who was writing the books, and it was right there on the first page. Jack like, the King you know, Kirby, uh, you know, Stan the Man Stan Lee. Stan the Man Lee. Uh, Jazzy you know, John Romita. John Romita, yep. You know, yeah. even Artie Simic, the letterer, had one, but I can't remember what yes. it was, you know. Um, <laughs> fabulous Flo Steinberg, who unfortunately yes. also we lost last year. Um, and that's and that's something to think about. But, but yes, and I, and I believe, uh, and I'm going to have to track this down for you, in particular, but I realized I want this too, is somebody on my Facebook feed said that they had actually edited a book of just the soapbox. Oh. And I can't remember which publisher it was. I want to say it was Craig Yoey Books, which is uh, associated with uh, with IDW, but I'm not 100% sure that's right. And so I've got to go searching that out because – Another thing that has happened this week is so many people are posting reprints of Stanley's soapbox. I got it right here. It's Stanley soap Stan soapbox the collection, and it's uh, it was apparently it was done by the Hero Initiative. Although Mm. that link is dead, it was fourteen. Maybe it sold out. Um, So I'm I'm hoping that they'll put that back in. It makes perfect sense. It was for the Hero Initiative, and unfortunately, uh, my connection at the Hero Initiative is. And, oh, it's on Amazon. Okay, then there we go, Stan. Currently unavailable. Ah, son of a gun. <laughs> so maybe oh. I think that I might be friends with Jim McLaughlin on Facebook uh, from Hero Initiative, and I might just shoot him a message and say, uh, are there plans to reprint? Uh, because that would be a, a, a really nifty and moving gift. Because the, the soapbox reprints that I've been seeing on Facebook, as you're saying, so many, I don't want to say ahead of their time, but but. <laughs> 
progressive progressive things from the 60s that i'm like oh my god they have resonance this week you know uh, about bigotry and about how we should be treated and why comics matter superheroes matter and and then you know so there's that i i and i I would agree with you the soapbox i i didn't have a lot of patience for text sections in comics when i was four and five (laughs) you know but i did neither did i but you read those but i read Stan Soapbox, absolutely. And and yeah. I would agree with you, it felt like a conversation. And later, I think it was Bob Rosakis would, would do that for DC. But it always felt like, yeah, it's not the same as Stan. No offense to Bob Rosakis. Uh, but, you know, so I think that's who did those. Maybe it was uh, E. Nelson Bridwell. But uh, I'm sure someone can write in and tell me, once again, do editor at fanboyplanet.com. But, you know, so the Soapboxes stand up. I think, like, one, you know, certainly the origin story of Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy number 15, is such a... I know that Fantastic Four is the book that really changed everything, you know, in, in comics. Yeah. But Amazing Sp- Fantasy number 15, that Peter Parker origin story, which gave us the, the off-misquoted, but uh, quoted by President Barack Obama at one point, with great power must come great responsibility. I mean, if that... If that doesn't sum up that it took until 1961 for a superhero comic book story to actually hit upon that as the thing that, you know, is what all of these are about, about what about what we owe each other, this philosophy. That's amazing. But when I look at Fantastic Four, the one that really does, uh, you know, resonate uh, is and and I know that Jack Kirby had a lot to do, obviously, with the Fantastic Four as well. And, you know, yes. but Ben Grimm, the creation, the combination of, of Kirby and and Lee on that, because I still, you know, think about those Marvel days as Lee and Kirby were like Lennon and McCartney. I never felt that either one was as strong as a creator without the other, that something about them together was just magic. And but totally. But agree. when you get to I think it I and you may know better because I know you probably had like a. a this in the original printing the first time around. I think it's Fantastic Four number 51, probably before the Galactus trilogy or right after. It's right this after. This Man, This Monster. Yep. Um, One of my favorites. Where, yeah. I mean, where the this anonymous villain figures out how to take the thing's form. Right. And then discovers what makes the thing a hero. And it is a movie. Oh, I feel myself getting choked up just because... Of, of this of this loss of this no, it's talent. A, it's a great but it's book. a great it's, story it's one of my all-time favorites yeah and, and so I, you know i want to call call that out and you also look at you know again it's lee and kirby together the creation of the black panther and i you know this is another one of those there are certain people in the industry in the, in comics history that there would not be so many diverse wonderful strong voices in comics without stanley without jack kirby and you know without steve ditko but you know the the common thread whether it was just encouraging and allowing this creativity when he had the the ability to do so is stanley you know and and um Can I can I back you up on the on the Black Panther because the the wonderful thing about that storyline and it's it is really it the Fantastic Four was all about discovering things mm-hmm. and they discover Wakanda and they discover and they are hunted by the well, Black Panther. Well, they are Panther. invited to Wakanda. They don't discover it. The right. Black Panther sends well, the, the challenge out. I just reread that a right, few months right. ago. So yeah, yeah. But the but the thing is, there is no discussion of race in that. No. He's there. It's it's just these are people just you know I'm not going to say getting along, but they're people who are are experiencing each other without any kind of even comment about differences. No, there's a I'm not going to say prejudice. No, or no, the like thing that. makes it's, a. I mean, it's the '60s. The thing makes a Tarzan joke, and you know that's pretty pretty. St- but that could be African yeah, as well. Yeah, as, and, and I, I think this is apocryphally. Because I've never seen the actual proof. I've just heard, you know, both Jack, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee had shared that they got hate mail and they got threats. Yeah. And sure. Yeah, absolutely. That it's it's just 
and I'm sure, and we know that it's echoing today with Comicsgate. So some things don't change, but Stan Lee and, and his mighty Marvel bullpen stood firm that this is the right, and we will provide you know uh, entertainment, but with would make you think. And so, and I remember again from that Origins of Marvel Comics, there's a Daredevil reprint in there. And I doubt anybody can get that book right now. I think some other companies have have uh, have publishers have done it, but without the stories, uh, you know, it's more just just Stan's commentary. Um, but if if you can, if you're at a garage sale, a flea market, and you stumble across that paperback for like five bucks, buy it and run, <laughs> you know, because it was. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of myth making. It's a lot of Stan's myth making in the early '70s, no question. But I remember this Daredevil story, and uh, oh, doggone it! Um, uh, Gene Colan was the artist, and now I can't think of uh, a brother. Take my hand is the name of the story. I don't know what issue of Daredevil it was, uh -huh. but it was about a Vietnam veteran. I think his name was Willie Lincoln, and uh, he had been injured, was losing his sight. Daredevil appeared at a USO show performing, and uh, Willie lost his sight uh, in the middle of the show. And so it's really about uh, Daredevil and, then of course, Matt Murdock reaching out to this Vietnam vet and helping him find uh, his self-worth, his dignity again. Uh, Willie is uh, African-American. And when I was six or seven reading that story, the impact of what they were talking about didn't, I, you know, it was just like a cool story to me, but where I sit now, I look back at that and think, my God, they, they, this was in a medium considered for kids. Um, the right. depth, the challenge, and I don't mean to sound like, Oh, it's not appropriate to talk about with kids. It's just that that's what Marvel did broke through and really helped the medium I don't know. We're still kind of childlike, but grow up a little and and open, you know, pave a, a path forward for what could be talked about and what should be talked about. And children should not have these issues hidden from them, and that they should be dealt with in a. I, I do. I'm go ahead and say it, in a progressive way, in an understanding that we are all indeed. That was the message of that uh, story. You know, that we're all brothers, uh, and that uh, we're not going to survive alone. You know, we, we all do owe something to each other. And you, you can hear a little bit of the good places snuck in <laughs> to my voice. But, <laughs> but I, I do believe that. And so, you know, that's that, that's a – how about cameos? Because I think the the thing that – I was going to say, that was, that was Daredevil 47. Okay, okay. Brother Take My Hand. Uh, great story. And, 1968. And great art by Gene Colan. But, um, you know, one of the things, too, is that Stan – was absolutely a futurist, as was Kirby. Uh, but, you know, he was seeing what was the next thing. He he gave up the day-to-day -day running of Marvel Comics. He moved out to Los Angeles because he was he knew that the next phase was Marvel Comics had to be in on television, in movies, and that there would be more. And apparently in a fairly recent interview, somebody said, aren't you worried the comic book's going to be replaced? And he said, everything is replaced as a medium, what matters is is the characters, and, and that these that these stories go on. And if they make it to movies, because you know everybody talks about that death of comics, because the movies are going to tell the story. Stan was okay with that, so you know he transitioned to cameos. Uh, you know he was executive producer on all these Marvel movies, and I think so far has been in one way or another in all the Marvel movies. And uh, there are many cameos. <laughs> All of them dating back to the ones that were made for TV. Uh, yes, he was in the trial of the Incredible Hulk. He was a juror on uh, Bruce Banner's uh, jury, um, and uh, that that is true. Uh, he was also the narrator of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, and uh, appeared. He was the, the mayor of Superheroville in of Heroville in Superhero Squad, the animated series. But uh, and this is the thing. You know, you posted something about well, there should be one more cameo. There are several more cameos, and Kevin Feige is being very uh, judicious about it, just kind of saying Stan liked a good surprise. But, you know, they had banked a few, and then there will be some, you know, spiritually. Like, I think in Venom, 
Uh, no, he does appear in in Venom. Uh, I think it's Deadpool two, isn't it? Just like it's spray painted on the side of a wall, like there's a mural that has Stan space. So there are ways of acknowledging, but he will appear yeah. so, some more. So I was going to ask you, what you know, what was your favorite cameo? Oh boy, it, it's probably actually it's um, oh it's probably Mall uh, is it Mallrats? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he talks to uh, uh, I've forgotten the name of the character. Uh, Kevin Smith. Like, uh, no, he talks to um, no, no it's, he talks to Jason uh, Lee. Banky. Jason Lee. No, not Banksy. Ban- Ban- Banky. Yeah, the artist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he has a he has a nice he has a nice soliloquy there. He's giving some nice advice. I, I think that was probably the one yeah. that I, I like the best. The one that I appreciate the best <laughs> is um, when he's uh, amid the watchers. I do <laughs> love chat, that chat, one. Talking, I do love that one. Just him in that big bulky spacesuit, and 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 you're going. Everyone's going. Well, does that mean he's one of the watchers? It's like, yeah, it, it, makes well, sense. Well, that's been a fan theory for years, and that explains why he could be yeah. in everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's expl- he, he's actually talking about his cameos, yes. and so when he's talking to them, so, so that was great. Uh, he he did appear in the Spider-Man PlayStation Four game, uh, or I guess we don't say PlayStation Four, ah. do we say we say PS Four? I I turned in you know, old there. Uh, he's in the PS Four game and uh, just kind of overseeing a scene between Mary Jane and Peter. And uh, but I, I think I, I posted that my favorite because it was not a Marvel film and it was so like out of the blue you do not have to watch this the whole film uh rick but the princess diaries 2 he attends anne hathaway's wedding as oh i think I as shall. a royal <laughs> as a royal uncle distant relative who has learned english strictly from watching the three stooges and so of course he only speaks in three stooges dialogue and this <laughs> That's pretty awesome. It was awesome. just so out of nowhere. It's a Gary Marshall film. I think it's Disney Studios, right? So it's a Disney film, and that's why I was, you know, watched it. I had a daughter who was like, you know, six at the time. We got the the, the DVD and watching that and going, oh my gosh, I just did not expect Stanley to be in there. But uh, you know, he he's all over the place, and I, I think my second favorite. I just have to mention, you know. No, I've got I've got three, so I'm going to go with it. Second, and the other two are animated films because it was so unexpected uh, that he's in Big Hero Six as Fred's father. Yes, um, it, yes, and a beautiful, beautifully drawn too. Yes, and it was I the first time I saw that movie, I'm like, oh, because you know Disney didn't make a big deal out of Big Hero Six being a Marvel property, no. and it's very different than what the Marvel comics were. But uh, yes. so it's become its own entity. So I thought, oh yeah, there's not going to be a Stan cameo. But then that he showed up at the end was terrific. And then the best, and I'm, I'm sure you have not seen it yet, was Teen Titans Go to the Movies, where he shows up and no, the I Titans explained, or somebody explains to him, Stan, this isn't a Marvel movie. <laughs> says, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so. Uh, it was just lovely and and delightful that he was there. And so, you know, as I said, there are more to come. And the impact of Stan Lee is just so great that, you know, we're going to be feeling it for years. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's appropriate that he was named a Disney legend and that Marvel was bought by, by Disney because I, I think that in terms of cultural impact – I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, at, at this, and I've been thinking about this for a couple of days. Like, okay, there's Walt Disney, there's Stan Lee, maybe J.R.R. Tolkien for this kind of, you know, are they still going to be talking about him? Is everybody going to know who that is yeah. 200, yeah. 300 years from now? People are going to know Disney. They're going to know Stan. They're going to know Tolkien. And I'm trying to think, who's next? And uh, we'll talk a bit about later. I, I do have one suspicion, and it, but it took me by surprise when I was thinking about it. But I'm going to hold on till the end of the podcast to say it. Um, okay. But uh, you know, but it is. This is uh, you know. The, I think when Harlan Ellison passed, one of the things that that was quoted a lot was that he, that he wanted his eulogy to be his epitaph to be uh, for a time I was here and I mattered. And I think that's you know Stanley was here. 
and he will matter for hundreds of years because his characters will yeah. live on. Now, granted, you know he's he's a legend alongside Jack Kirby as far as Disney's concerned, but in the general public public's mind, it's Stan, and he will will matter. So I th- I think when you look at that kind of stuff, you not only look a lot at their accomplishments, but how much they inspired and changed the industry, and that's really. That's really where the long long term effect. And this is. is what I'm saying is, is let's go to our pick of the week because I'm sure both of us picked a book that would not yeah. exist without Stan Lee. Glad, I'm glad I'm going yeah. first <laughs> because um, I've been very happy for the last couple of months since the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine, has come back on the mm-hmm. scene. And I've been I've been happy with the way they were resolved, the reason why they've been gone so long, and incorporated it back into the storyline, yeah. and and didn't mention anything about the about uh, media ownership of the of the property. <laughs> um, the big villain. The the thing the thing that I I'm I'm I picked this over. There are two other books this month that I could I could almost be doing the same um, type of uh, dialogue about. Um, as far as being impactful and important, this is issue three of of the Fantastic Four. So it's, it's it. What it does is it wraps the first mini arc in the story. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't of, read of, it yet. Yeah. Of, of reading and stuff, but what I loved about this was this brought back everybody who has ever been a member of the Fantastic. And that was the Four. last page of issue two, right? Was that promise? So right. yes, right. And so it's it's a lot like issue 100 of the Avengers, where everyone who had ever been an Avenger was mm-hmm. there. Um, but the the really cool thing about this is even with all that firepower, with all those all those amazing heroes, um, most of which were created by Stan and Jack, um, you end up with Reed solving the problem without any kind of real violence or you know, tor- violence towards another person. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to split hairs there. And, and, a, and a, in a manner that you haven't really seen, I don't think we've seen since oddly enough, they faced the impossible man. One of my favorite of their and, characters, by the way. Yeah. And, and, and it just, it just all works. And you got the family back and it, it, you really have the the tender moments of the family re- reconciling, uh, being upset with them with each other for what they've gone through while they've been apart, but at the same time, that that's all passing. The family lives on. It's an important. Um, it's this has always been an important book for me because of that. Because this is this is a book that doesn't need to cross over to any other books to get get me excited about the characters in it this this book is this book is complete and, unless it lets in, acknowledge in the in, new creators that's dan slot and sarah pacelli dan slot and sarah pacelli yep tremendous team and you know because i've said yep. like once i got marvel comics unlimited i'm very picky about the marvel books that i'm picking up at number one and continuing and this is one of them because, you know, normally with Marvel Comics Unlimited, I go, if I can wait six months. I mean, you know, A did yeah. do that and say that, but it's true. You know, I'll catch up on things that way. But this is one I can't wait. Uh, you know, it, it's alongside the Immortal Hulk uh, as two revamps, uh, yeah. you know, of the concept yeah. or rethinking of the concept, moving it forward. And it's tremendous. My choice is actually not a Marvel book at all. And I'm just saying, again, you know, spiritually – it would not exist if if not for Stan Lee because, really, if Stan Lee had not created Marvel Comics, you read anything about com- the comics industry in the 70s and everybody in, him, in the industry was convinced that it was about to collapse and go away. And so, you know, Stan saved that. And this is a book that would not have been possible, you know, certainly in the 60s. But my choice is Bitter Root from Image Comics, and it's by David Walker, friend of the podcast, Chuck Brown, and Sanford Green. Those are the uh, three creators, uh, the writer and artist. And it introduced me to a new um, genre type, type, 
and I love this word, ethnogothic, because they said it okay. couldn't, you know, it's not quite Afrofuturism, which Black Panther uh, certainly was on the forefront of, and now they really embrace that at Marvel. That it, you know, and, and the film as well is this whole movement of Afrofuturism. Ethnogothic is dealing with the darker sides of, the, of of fantasy and the supernatural, but giving it a twist of the of the realities of being a, a minority group in that time. So Bitterroot takes place in the Harlem Renaissance. So already bits and pieces of actual history being woven in the, the 1920s, 1920s. Uh, dealing with Harlem uh, being taking place in Harlem, but there's a family uh, that has been the supernatural guardians for centuries. And the bitter, the title good play on words, right? Is that the, is one that the men of the family uh, are the ones that hunt the monsters and cage them and try to treat them. And it's the women of the family who are the herbologists who mix it up and create the, the serum that will help. And it, it is from a bitter root. But also it's being placed in there's a missing family member who is somewhere in the south where things are not as, uh, you know, seemingly progressive and moving forward. Uh, shall we say, as the Harlem the Renaissance was. If you were in Harlem there, you've got these great jazz musicians, you've got literature, poetry, music, performance, art, all kinds of things. And in the midst of it, this very traditional family trying to keep a lid on the supernatural breaking free and feeding on humanity. And it's, I, I love the art. It's, uh, I'm trying to, I've been trying to think like what it reminds me of, but, uh, you know why does it have to? I guess I just say just trust me. It's good art. The colorist uh, and the colorist is uh, our Rico Renzi and Sanford Green. Uh, Sanford Green had also is also I think the inker on it. Um, it it's a beautiful palette. Uh, and if you did not pick this book up, Rick, I think you need to go back to the store and buy it because. I'm just flipping through some stuff on the. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Will Eisner. I, I can see that. I was thinking, you know, Eisner, a little Paul Pope, a little, you know, but that's it. You know, everybody, yeah. you know, it's all put into a blender and everybody pulls their influences out. But I'm just loving yeah. this story, this book. I'm, I'm so, I'm going to call out. I would not have had the courage to meet, to introduce myself to David Walker, if not for our, our mutual friend Michael Champlin. Uh, so, Michael, if you still listen to the podcast, man. Uh, I don't know. Um, he's got a kid, uh, you know, that, uh, that I'm grateful because he, as a result of, of knowing David through independent filmmaking for years and years and shorts and so forth. Um, you know, when David burst into the scene as a comic book writer in the last few years, uh, just a, such a vibrant voice, such an important voice and, uh, you know, really pushing the boundaries and, putting out there into entertainment, you know, um, things that need to be talked about. And so bitter root, uh, I'd say jump on this. I, I'm not positive if it has, uh, sold out yet or not, but, uh, here, here's how much I love this book. Image sent me the PDF. I read it cause it, because I was interested. And then I, and then yesterday I still had to go to the store and buy a hard copy because I want my son to read it. Uh, I, I kind of want to have a copy if people want to borrow it, you know, but sure. it's, um, it's just a, you know, again, a, a terrific, terrific book. So that's, that's my pick of the week. And there have been some good stuff, uh, elsewhere, elsewise, but, uh, this was it for me. So, Hey, can we comment? Can I comment on a couple things that I don't see in our notes? Um, just because I think they're worth noting. This month we have the 700th episode, episode, 700th issue of an Avengers book. It's Avengers 10 in the current run, but they're, it's a seven, 700th issue in the way that they're counting nowadays. <laughs> it's, it is a thick book. It is a $6 book. Um, it's got a number of backup stories in it, and I'm not going to go into what it's about, but, uh, that, cause that'd be more like a review. It's about uh, 48 pages. It's, it's long. Um, also, we've got Uncanny X-Men coming back as a one, number one. Um, 
mm-hmm. which is leading into their their next big event. But the one thing that I read today was uh, Batman 1000 is going to get the same treatment as Superman 1000 did. Mm-hmm. And Paul Levitz is, is editing it. He just announced on Facebook today. So very excited there and we will talk as they get closer you know that's yeah. uh, and uh, i i'm only rushing forward because i thought you know I, don't, I didn't want any story there is no story as big as stan's passing oh yeah sure. you know and and but it is funny you say there avengers stan's team exactly book. uh x-men stan's team book and i think that many of the things that the x-men became have become known for exactly uh, was not really, you know, it was not necessarily there in Stan and Jack's original vision. But there's something about the flexibility of the concepts that they put out there that so many other people could bring colors in. They're like Hugh Jackman had said, like, oh, I wouldn't be here without, you know, portraying one of the greatest characters. And it's, again, it's like the Venom situation. Stan had nothing to do with Wolverine. But Roy right. Thomas did. And Roy Thomas, you know, when you said, and you can check this on the Internet, the last photograph of Stan is with Roy, uh, Roy went to visit him for Roy's, uh, I think, 75th birthday this past weekend. And so that's the last photo. Uh, Roy Thomas followed Stan as editor-in-chief. But as I said, it, you know, as we've known many people, Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, Roy Thomas, many very talented people followed Stan, and none of them will be as known as, as him and, and still not, ha- you know, will not have the impact because Stan was the one who opened the door. So let's go to movies. Let's open the door to something completely unrelated <laughs> and bizarre. I'm excited about this movie. <laughs> the internet can't decide. So you've seen the trailer for Detective Pikachu. Oh, yes. And, you know, or as some people are saying, oh, who transformed Deadpool into Pikachu? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds voicing Pikachu. Um, I, I swear, you know, and I, I, I'm not at all dismissive because, boy, do I play Pokemon Go like crazy. Oh, yeah. uh, although, of course, you know, the, the new Harry Potter game was announced. Uh, that will be coming in a few months at the yes. AR game. So everybody will be going, Pika-who? And um, they just, re, they just re, uh, released uh, Ingress, the, uh, the, the game well, that yeah, was there yeah, before. You know they also released a Ghostbusters game. No, I didn't nobody, see that nobody seems yeah. to notice that or Jurassic yeah. World. There's a Jurassic Park yeah. one. But anyway, uh, Detective Pikachu, in which it's a, uh, which Ryan Reynolds voices the one Pikachu who can be understood by one person in Rhyme City, and uh, on all these years of, of of watching as my nephews and then my kids were watching the Pokemon cartoon, it never really occurred to me that Pikachu, of course, even when, I, I went to Build a Bear, I bought my son a Pikachu, a stuffed Pikachu. He was furry, <laughs> so it's like I just accepted him as yellow and and solid. And to see Pikachu and many of these Pokemon furry was just kind of like what. And then, uh, but I am happy that Mister Mime is as creepy in oh, yeah. in uh, oh, three God. dimensions as I would have imagined. Mister Mime being my favorite character because that is just the silliest of the Pokemon to me. Um, I have about. Uh, 12 that I captured in London. So yeah. uh, waiting for anybody who wants to trade, but I'm not sure I'll trade them away. Oh, no, 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 because I like having an army of mimes. I hatched one the other day. Did you? I've heard that they were in the eggs. But yeah. anyway, so Detective Pikachu coming out next summer and Ryan Reynolds voicing, and you should watch that trailer, and it is it is cool. Uh, so let's get to t- TV. I, you know, because I didn't superhero movies. The, nothing really has changed yet. I was just talking with a writer about that. Like, you know, the problem with trying to put together an article about what's going on in the worlds of DC universe uh, movies and what's happening with Marvel Cinematic Universe is right now there is nothing new. Nobody knows what's happening. It's just a lot of speculation. And uh, so let's go to TV. And this is where I'm going to say this is where I think the other major figure, and I'm as surprised as anybody else who may have the cultural impact in the long term. Hulu announced this week that, as was hinted at at Worldcon, yes, if you had gone to the Wild Cards uh, panel at Worldcon... I would have. I would have. George R. R. Martin accidentally said there was more than one Wild Card series in the works, and Hulu confirmed that they're they're developing at least two with uh, Universal Cable Television. 
Uh, so when you think it's 40 plus writers, but George R. R. Martin is the editor and then thus sort of the creative overseer of wild cards. There's one. Yeah. 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 He is. Yeah, he is. I mean, Melinda Snodgrass is his co-editor, but George is the name that everybody knows. Thanks to game of Thrones. Right. Which we also saw is returning. Uh, you know, they announced their return date. They're develop HBO is developing at least four prequel series. And, and they, so as some, at least one has set thousands of years previously. And I know that there have been books throughout there. Like I had read the hedge Knight, and silly me never connected that to a song of ice and fire. Like I just read the hedge Knight separately. I had no oh, idea really? you know, okay. because I read, uh, George R. R. Yeah. Martin's like early stuff when he first uh, appeared. And I was, you know, when, oh, what was that book? Super Crown Books. Uh, I would go. I think that was what was in Westwood when I was in college, and I picked up Wild Cards for the first time, and then I picked up Fever Dream. And this is a vampire novel, and I, I think I may have read Night Flyers, which is being developed by Sci-Fi. So I mean, he's got a lot of yeah. of works being turned into television. Right now, I so I'm gonna say I, I, he might be one of those one of those voices that lasts. Stephen King would be another, but yeah, I think that's that's a fair that's a fair cop. I think so. I mean, not not certainly not as strong as uh, Lord of the Rings as Tolkien. Well, not yet, but definitely definitely in the running. Yeah, not yet, but I think it, you know this question: Will the Song of Ice and Fire? Will Game of Thrones? Is it? As a television, will it, you have to see how many generations it goes through. Right, right, right. You know, so that's. Are we going to get George R. R. Martin's Silmarillion? Uh, I hope not. Um, anyway, uh, so two wild card series, uh, TV series. You could do both a historical, and so I was going to say with this is uh, places to jump on. I would recommend if you want to read these books. I think it's like twenty-seven books in addition to there are been twenty-seven a couple of, of them. A couple yes. of graphic novels. Marvel, I think, even I think Epic had done a Wild Cards uh, comic series, yeah. And I didn't get as much into the comics because I think at that point I was so into them as books. But uh, to go through with the first one, uh, which notice Tor did a really beautiful hardcover binding of basically a paperback size, great place to start. Yep. Um, what and then and now I'm blanking on the name of the one that that retells everything from the first volume as to what happened in England, the history. Um, oh, doggone it. I, 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 I'll put the link on because I, I love the cover art so much. I bought the British version. Uh, and then most recently they had a, 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 version, a book called Chicago Low, which kind of, uh, they right. said at, at, at Worldcon was a great jumping on point. You're not talking about Aces Abroad, are you? No, no, I'm not talking about Aces Abroad. Okay. That was in the, like, the original 10 uh, I, one of the original okay. I had written. No, no, it's the. It has not been released in the U.S. yet, and it's about to be. Ah, but there's one okay. that Aces Abroad is about what happened when they traveled, uh, and they yeah. took it out there. But but there's this one taking place in in, in the U.K. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I am blanking on the title. But Kevin Andrew Murphy had showed me the cover, so you could get it in the U.K. I went to Amazon.co.uk and, and, and bought it. Um, that tells the same events of, of volume one, like what happened in Europe and the UK specifically from 1946 forward. Aces Abroad was like in the eighties. And, and right. this is you know, what happened in the forties, fifties and sixties as they're dealing with their own aces, deuces and jokers, and also dealing with the impact of what's happening in the United States with all these heroes and villains showing up. So um, it's a, it's a fun series uh, you know, they've tried to, to kind of do it in, in little series within series because 27 volumes is a lot. It's like when I was a kid being daunted by the Perry Rodan novels at PW Super and saying, I, I, you know, how can I pick up number 97 if it's uh, if you're a completist and you're anal retentive about that sort of thing and you want to find number one. Uh, with wild cards, they tried to be, make it a little more accessible in different, in, in different jumping on points, just like you should in a comic book series. So there's that. I have to represent for my gamer friends that the uh, wild card series was based on um, a a campaign mm-hmm. that Martin and a number of the writer, writers of were the just original writers. involved in playing 
playing playing in the super world role playing game yes. over years, and more recently, although it's still like twenty years ago, um, it's the, recent for uh, you. St- Steve Jackson Games GURPS did a GURPS wild card with at least I think at least two books. But you know, speaking of games, so everybody's looking for that next universe, and Legendary has just picked up Dark Horses. No, it shouldn't be Dark Dark Horses. Um, Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer, which has become a right. universe of itself for TV adaptation. So I think like everybody's looking for the next Game of Thrones, and now they're looking to what superhero universes are there. I was thinking of that as Game of Thrones, but really, I think what's happening more importantly is that you know DC Universe is launched. Not bad. I should mention I got an update from last week, and I I think I got you excited to subscribe because of Doom Patrol coming. The version of Doom Patrol. I actually I actually watched the first two episodes of Titans. So the the yeah the Doom Patrol episode is episode four. And, but four, but right, I, right. I do just want to qualify for you. It is not Timothy Dalton as the chief in Titans. He has been, uh, he will be playing the chief in the Doom Patrol series. But there are a few different actors that they've swapped out through uh, from doing this kind of backdoor pilot in Titans. Which so I'm glad you subscribed because it is good. Um, it, it's uh, it's taken me a while to warm up and I'm still one episode behind, but, uh, it has been a great, uh, I think I'm mostly excited about doom patrol and of course swamp thing as we, as I mentioned before, cause they also announced this week that, uh, Jason Woodrue is going to be, uh, a recurring villain in swamp thing. Kevin, Dur- Kevin Durand, sense. who played the blob in X-Men origin origins, Wolverine and, uh, has appeared, uh, it was regular in the strain, a great character actor, uh, so I was very excited by that casting as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, with DC Universe launching that, we know that Disney Plus is going to be running Marvel series as well, and they're very clearly pulling them out of of Netflix. Netflix and Hulu and I'm sure whatever else, the CBS, I'm sure CBS All Access is going to start looking for a superhero series soon. They're doing quite well with with Star Trek. And uh, if you haven't uh, renewed yet, Michael Chabon just wrote one of the, the short treks that they just did called Calypso. Calypso. Yeah. So that just came out uh, last week. Kind of a fun uh, taking Star Trek into one place they have never gone before, which is a thousand years into the future. And mm. so kind of interesting. I don't know how much is setting up something that might happen in, in their many series, but you know they are really doubling down for all access in, in kind of they're going to have as many Star Trek series as they can possibly ring out. So I think that other services and other networks are looking for what can they do that has that kind of appeal. So Legendary has picked up Black Hammer, which has had a, a great series of miniseries and is a, a universe uh, that is ripe for the picking. Many different characters. Some are riffs on established tropes and some are new things. Just let's, uh, to go back to I'm excited about Wild Cards because you know, one, I would love a series that just tells the history, and I would love a series that picks on, uh, you know, two or three great characters and follow and in the modern day and follows them. Uh, in particular, of course, everybody loves uh, Croyd the Sleeper. We could do like an, almost an anthology series because a different actor could play Croyd right. every episode. So uh, anyway, uh, that's what I've got for this week, and we will. Uh, we can negotiate the next recording. I think our next episode will be our gift guide, uh, and we'll have to get that out before Thanksgiving, correct? Right? Am I promising it? Yeah. Yes. I'm gabbing so you can edit it out if you decide that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do decide it's going to work, let's leave this in so people get that little behind-the-scenes moment. Anyway, once again, thanks for listening. And, of course, uh, anything we talked about that you would like for yourself pick up on Amazon think geek, or of course, uh, you know, your local comic shop, there is local comic shop day on Saturday, the 17th. So thank you. Any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. Once again, I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of fanboy planet. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for, for good. good.
thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatluke.com.